Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Back with another solo pod. Colorado is 12 preseason practices in, so they're basically at the halfway mark of the preseason. Hopefully you've been checking out the preseason content on BuffStampede.com, watching the analysis videos I've been doing with Brian Howell. So I've been sharing a lot of my thoughts throughout camp. But uh, today I'm going to answer questions from CU fans, see what you guys want to talk about here. Again, as Colorado is about halfway through their preseason preparation, recording this on August 18th, Wednesday. The Buffs have a day off, so it gives me a little bit of time to catch up here at the home office and uh, answer your questions. Let's jump right into it. 62v36 asked, are other teams sleeping on our running game? Last year, the average was 4.6 yards per carry. In 2001, the average was 4.8 yards per carry. And 2002, the average was 5.0 yards per carry. He said no other year since 2001 is close, except 2006 when Jackson never threw a pass. So the question here is, are other teams sleeping on their running game? I think you're going to find out as Colorado gets into the season, other teams will not be sleeping on CU's running game. They know that's going to be the team's strength. From a national perception, maybe people are sleeping on CU's running game. I think that's kind of a product of the fact that they only played six games last year. And frankly, the competition wasn't what you know would have been had they played USC, had they played Arizona State. And so I think there's a little bit more of a wait and see there just because uh, it's a small sample size. And, you know, let's be honest, Jarek Roussard, that wouldn't have been sustainable just the amount of carries he was getting. Now you get Alex Fontenot back. Ashad Clayton's another year in the system. And uh, you get Deion Smith back as well. So th- they're definitely deeper at running back. He asked, is this the best stable of running backs since the Barnett years? Yes. Uh, there's been really good backs that have come through the program since 2001. But just the depth. I don't. They haven't had a top three like they do this year. I think that there's some people that expected after the 2008 signing class that that was going to be an unbelievable back, and, and Rodney Stewart ended up being a really, really good college running back. But obviously, Daryl Scott didn't pan out. Ray Polk moved to defense. Demetrius Sumler did some nice things uh, in his career at CU. Brian Lockridge had some moments, but you just didn't have the depth there. Uh, Philip Lindsay obviously had some great seasons, but the depth around him wasn't what it is at CU right now. So I would agree this is the best group of running backs they've had since those Barnett years. He referenced 2001, 2002. Obviously, you look back, Chris Brown, Bobby Purify, Brian Calhoun, uh, even Brandon Drum was, was in the offense back then. Marcus Houston uh, played a little bit. This current group is going to have to prove some things to show that they're on that level. I, I wouldn't go quite that far. But but since that group, I would say this is the best group of backs. 62v36 asked about the offensive line being the best since the Barnett years. I think it's got the potential. Uh, I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach there. Some really good depth. There's not a whole lot separating that first and second team offensive line, if those guys are all healthy, obviously they need to get Frank Phillip back. Um, I do think they can go about eight or nine deep in that offensive line group, which is going to be deeper than they have been. But when you look at that group, on the other side of that is 
you don't point to this one guy and go that that's an NFL draft pick. That's an all conference caliber guy. So you like the depth, the top end part of that offensive line. I don't know if I would go as far as to say best since the Barnett years. Again, I want to kind of take a more of a wait and see approach with that group. Uh, I think they have gotten better the last two years. I think Chris Kapilovich had that group take a step up in 2019 from what we had seen uh, the, the previous couple of years. And then I thought Coach Rod did a pretty good job with that group. But, uh, you know, the, the competition is going to get tougher this year. So uh, I want to see on that. And then he also asked, could this defense be as good as 2016? Absolutely not. That 2016 defense was special. Had some real next-level talent. I mean, you, you just look at that secondary. Cheeto Bayouzie, Akella Witherspoon, Isaiah Oliver, Tedrick Thompson. I mean, those guys all played in the NFL. Even Afalabe Laguda was, I guess, the weak link there, but he was a decent Pac-12 safety. Jimmy Gilbert had really come into his own. Ten and a half sacks that year. Kenneth Olobode finally came into his own. Uh, even the defensive line was a pretty solid group with Jordan Carroll, Josh Tupo, Samson Kafavalu. Uh, Ryan Moeller was a good player. They're not going to be at that level. You could say what you want about Rick Yamboa, but he played a lot of football, was a you know, quarterback of that defense there. They're they're not anywhere close to that. Even Addison Gillum was on that 2016 defense, and he had been dealing with some injuries throughout his career, but he still had 66 tackles that year. I, I think if you're expecting this defense to be as good as 2016, you're going to be very disappointed uh, the goal with the defense is not to be as good as 2016. It's to be much better than they have been since 2016. Obviously, it's a kind of a, a defense that's uh, been rebuilding here for a few years, but they should definitely take steps forward. But no, not anywhere close to as good as 2016. Jack 3 asks, do you believe any of the tight ends have a legitimate shot at pushing Matt Lynch as the second tight end option? I do. Alec Pell has really started to come into his own and we got to see it in game days, but I think he's got a really good chance of being their second tight end option behind Brady Russell. Really like Caleb Fourier's potential. We've talked about this and we talked about it on the top of countdown. He might be a year away. I mean, he couldn't play last year coming back from a broken leg. So he's still pretty raw as a tight end, uh, but I like his potential for the future. At this point, I would even maybe say Alec Pell is their second best tight end option. Matt Lynch has been a little bit banged up. And so I would say that that's my that's who I would go with there at tight end as your second tight end option right now. Dog Buff asked, big year for Carl Durrell and staff. In your opinion, what type record do we need to have this year in order to keep any positive momentum from last year going regarding national perception and getting recruits to buy in that Carl Durrell is really getting it done. I think six and six. It's been since 03, 04, since he was gone to back-to-back bowl games. And you can say what you will about 2020 being a shortened season, but they went to a bowl game. And if they did it again this year, I think that's when you can really sell some positive momentum going forward. If you don't go to a bowl game, it'll be harder to kind of sell that in terms of a national perception. Dorn09 asks, Jay Brew is a 20-yard per carry back or CU's run defense is suspect? And along those lines, Wildbuff asked, seeing Broussard break out in the scrimmage scares me more than it excites me. 
Not sure of the exact stats, but CU had to be one of the worst defenses in Power 5 last year in terms of giving up explosive plays. Please talk me off the ledge. Well, Jared Broussard is not a 20-yard per carry back, so we know that. One thing I will mention about that scrimmage is that Nate Lamon did not participate. Robert Barnes did not participate. Jonathan Van Deese did not participate. And even some of the other guys, um, Carson Wells didn't participate. So it, it wasn't the first team defense you're going to see out there on the field this season that was participating. Most of that was for precautionary reasons, guys dealing with bumps and bruises. There's no reason to expose them more. It was also a small sample size. Jarek Broussard only had four carries in that scrimmage. His first two did go for 108 yards. So, yeah, certainly uh, makes you maybe a little bit more concerned about uh, kind of the depth on defense, which uh, has been a problem for a while. But with Nate Landman, Robert Barnes, Jonathan Van Dees, Carson Wells, if all those guys were participating – uh, maybe Jarek Broussard doesn't go for 108 yards on those first two carries in the scrimmage. Troutman5 asked, how did Ashad Clayton look in the scrimmage? How about Brandon Rice? Clayton only had a couple carries, uh, didn't do a whole lot with that. So uh, small sample size, it sounds like he's making the strides that the coaching staff wanted to see out him from last year to this year. Brandon Rice had a catch in the scrimmage. Uh, what we're hearing about him is... He is very explosive when he gets the ball in his hands, and it's just a question of him being really consistent as a pass catcher. Magic Piper asked, who played on the defensive line? Did Trustin Oliver and Trevor Woods get much playing time? Yeah, Tr- Trustin Oliver and Trevor Woods were out there quite a bit, running with the, the twos, and uh, Trevor Woods made one nice play in the scrimmage. But again, I, I don't want to overanalyze one open scrimmage where things are going to be pretty vanilla. Um, on the defensive line, Sami Terrence Lang played quite a bit with the first group. Janaz Jordan got out there quite a bit. Uh, Naeem Rodman saw some Lloyd Murray Jr. out there. But uh, we didn't have tape of that, and there's a lot you were looking at. I don't have the, the breakdown of snaps there. But I think you should be a little bit concerned about just the depth on the defensive line until some of those young guys prove it. Blaine Toll comes in from Arkansas. But he's been a little bit banged up early in camp to start out. So safety depth and defensive line depth are a couple concerns. And then obviously now quarterback depth with JT Shroud going down. So those are three areas that you don't feel super great about the depth going into the season. Trevmon, the 28, asked, last year we had breakout performances that were hard to predict. For example, Neuer, Broussard, Lewis, any prospects this year? So he named... Neuer, Broussard, Lewis, quarterback and running back, those are high-profile positions. Everybody knows about Fontenot, and they know about Ashad Clayton, and obviously Brennan Lewis. Uh, you're riding or dying with him this year. So there's not going to be the big-name breakout in that sense. I mentioned Alec Pell, this guy that's probably going to play more at tight end than maybe the average CU fan expects. Jake Wiley we keep hearing good things about at tackle, so he would be another possible breakout performance type player defensively I might go guy Thomas there a guy that could be a little bit better than maybe outside expectations are right now but you're not going to see I mean Jarek Broussard in terms of a breakout in 18 plus years covering this program I don't think there's been more of a surprise breakout player than he was last year so I don't know if you're going to quite have 
as big a surprise this year. Kind of along the line, the same lines here, Shinebuff asked, after two weeks of practice, any players that you think you'd rank higher in your preseason top 40? Mentioned a couple of these guys already. There's three guys that weren't in our top 40 that, if we were doing it right now, should definitely be in there. Alec Pell being one, Jake Wiley being one, and Guy Thomas being one that I mentioned. And then Chris Miller, he ranked 25th on the top offs countdown this year. And I totally get it. It's the poor guy has dealt with injury after injury after injury. And you should probably should lower your expectations for him just because of that injury past. But they're bringing him back. They're being cautious with him this preseason. He's, he's better than ranking 25th on the countdown, which is where he ranked. But I get it because of the injury past. But I would put him in the top 20 for sure if I was voting right now, just because they do expect him to be a big part of the defense. Keenan Ray was 38th on our top box countdown. He should probably be a little bit higher as well. I'd probably put him somewhere between 25th and 30th if I was redoing that right now. Dangerous asked, which 11 players will play the most snaps on defense? Will Landman, Barnes, Wells, Lamb be on the field at the same time? To answer his first question about which 11 players will play the most snaps on defense, I would probably guess Terrence Lang, Jalen Sami, Naeem Rodman, Nate Landman, Jack Lamb, Carson Wells, Christian Gonzalez, Kai Blackman, Isaiah Lewis, Mark Perry, and Chris Miller would be my guess right now. He could throw in some other names that have a chance. Obviously, Robert Barnes, uh, Jonathan Van Deest. There's an injury at, at cornerback, probably Nigel Bethel Jr. Defensive line, maybe Janaz Jordan would be a candidate there. Outside linebacker, Josh Kagustoff or, or Guy Thomas, possibly. But uh, those first 11 guys would be my guess right now. In terms of Landman, Barnes, Wells, and Lamb being on the field at the same time, that's not going to be a, a regular package. You expect them to, to go four down more than we've seen in recent years, and then obviously they're going to utilize a nickelback a lot of the time. So I don't think all four of those linebackers will be on the on the field at the same time a lot, uh, maybe maybe in some short yard situations. Rjack3 asked, what's a game on the schedule you give CU a better shot at winning than most would? What's a game on the schedule that you'd give CU a better shot at losing than most would? For this, I guess, in terms of better shot at winning than most would think, I, I, maybe you go with the FPI, which is uh, not something I put a whole lot of stock into, but it, it kind of shows you just what the outside perception is in terms of what other people think CU's chances are going into games. And the ESPN FBI had CU at a 30.1% chance of beating UCLA. I would go higher than 30% with that game. It is a road game, but I think higher than 30%. And then they have CU with an 82.2% chance of beating Arizona. As long as things play out the way we expect them to, uh, I'm going to predict CU wins that game, but 82.2% is pretty high for CU in a conference game, just given their record in conference games here in recent history. I would probably go a little bit lower than 82.2% on, on that game. Vin Buff 
Fan33 asked, what does Chev have to do for you to feel comfortable keeping him as the OC for 2022? Secondly, what does Chev have to do to make you comfortable moving on from him after this year? So CU was fifth in total offense and kind of kind of in the middle of the pack in scoring offense in 2020. There were seven Pac-12 programs that were within four points in terms of scoring average last year. In terms of what would make you feel comfortable keeping him as the OC, I would say something similar this year what they did in 2020, given that it is a better schedule in 2021. And given that CU's defense should be a little bit better than they were last year overall. So they averaged 28 and a half points a game last year. If you're kind of in that 29, 30 range against a better schedule, I think that would be pretty good. Chev said their goal is to score 35 points a game. You like the fact that he's setting the bar high. If they score 35 points a game this year, Chev's going to have opportunities, uh, elsewhere and probably at some point we'll want to kind of spread his wings and, and build up his coaching resume um, but you'd certainly feel comfortable with him as the OC I think uh, anything better than what they did again last year against a better schedule uh, but 35 I don't know how realistic that is usually there's only one or two teams in the entire conference that score that many points in terms of moving on I think anything that, that would be a step back from last year would, would kind of fall into that category Buffnut1 asked, what are the fundamental strengths and weaknesses of Drew Carter as a quarterback? And is his basketball background a positive element in field awareness and playmaking skills? It's pretty early, obviously, with Drew Carter. At this point, he's swimming, uh, trying to adjust to everything at this level. But he's a good athlete. That's definitely a strength of his. And he's got a good arm. It's not uh, like we talked about JT Shroud having next level elite arm talent uh carter's not on that level but uh he's got a pretty strong arm at this point his weaknesses is just the his inexperience at this level and as carl drell said it's just so hard for a guy coming in even with those spring practices to be ready to play pac-12 football as a true freshman i I know you can point out examples of guys Jaden daniels at arizona state he had a really good freshman year but those examples are few and far between it's pretty rare in terms of his back basketball background being a positive, uh, definitely didn't hurt his awareness, I guess, because as a point guard, you've got to see the floor and, and be a facilitator out there. But I wouldn't go overboard in terms of saying that because of that basketball background, uh, he's got elite playmaking skills as a result. Uh, different sports, certainly basketball is good from a footwork standpoint, but that basketball background kind of kept him, I think, from getting more looks as a football recruit just because he was kind of splitting his focus in high school. Stanley Buff asked, hearing anything about Jordan Wolverton at the time, him joining as a local Colorado kid walk-on, wasn't that noteworthy, but it could be an important piece of the depth puzzle this year if he surprises. Yeah, there's definitely a throw Jordan Wolverton would like to have back from that scrimmage on Saturday. Um, He's a good player. If he's an important part of this season, uh, you you got to worry. I think if some injuries happen there at quarterback, uh, maybe Matt Lynch moving from tight end might be a better option, at least for 2021. But we'll see with Jordan Wolverton's uh, progression as long as he stays in the program. I, I'm sorry, Stanley Buff. I, 
until JT Shrout went down. I hadn't put a whole lot of uh, thought into Jordan Wolverton, and, and that's no offense to him. I just it's a walk on true freshman, so uh, let him develop. If he has to get thrown out there, then uh, yeah. Maximus Buff asked, expand on your post regarding this staff's belief in its own analysis of recruits. Doesn't every staff believe in their analysis of recruits? Why should we believe it's different this time? That's a, a personal choice for every CU fan. They can uh, choose to go the optimistic side or the pessimistic side with recruiting right now. And every staff, yes, they believe in their analysis of recruits. I think if memory serves, when I posted something on this subject, the point I was trying to make is that people are holding the struggles of Dan Hawkins, John Embry, and to a lesser extent, Mike McIntyre against Carl Durrell. And my point there is that's not fair to him. His ability and his staff's ability to analyze recruits is something that's going to play out as we go forward. You can't make that call definitively right now. He's been in Boulder for a year and a half. But you like some of the early evaluations that they have made. People were frustrated with their defensive line recruiting with the 2021 class. Ryan Williams commits to Colorado. He doesn't have any other Power 5 offers. And folks are frustrated that CU's bringing him on board as a commit. And he showed up to campus this summer and impressed people. Nico Reed was another guy that signed with Colorado in the 2021 class that folks were frustrated by. He's shown up and performed really well in his first camp as a buff. Alan Baugh didn't have a lot of options coming out of high school, despite being at one of the top high school programs, St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida. And he sure looks the part. And people were frustrated with their offensive line recruiting last year. Edgar Amaya and Jackson Anderson sure look like they're going to be pretty good players down the road. So, some of the lowest rated guys in that 2021 class have shown up and really look like Pac-12 players. So that part of it makes you think, okay, if they can continue to do that with these classes going forward, bring in some guys like an Eric Olson. And yes, they need more of those guys. They need to be at more power five programs for more recruits. There's no question about it, but until the brand of CU is repaired a little bit, it's going to be tough to get a ton of those guys. And so if you can have good class depth and the guys at the end of your signing class in terms of their star rating uh, end up being pretty good players, then you feel good about the program going forward. In 2022 recruiting, people were frustrated when Carlton Madden committed early on. And now he's he's got a lot of SEC options and probably won't go to CU. And that frustrates people for another reason. <laughs> I get that. Uh, Ronald Lewis, I don't remember people doing backflips when he committed to CU in June, and now he's going to Texas. And so you like what the staff has done from an evaluation standpoint. Simeon Harris flips from Fresno State to CU, and folks aren't excited, but I can tell you from what I heard, he came out to Boulder and really balled out for two days at a camp, and they're super, super excited about him. So yes, every staff believes in their own recruits. Why should we believe it's different this time? I would say with a very small sample size, the staff has done a good job evaluating recruits. Magic Piper asked, settle the 17-page thread. Do we need to win first to get better recruiting classes, or do we need to get better recruiting classes first in order to win? In terms of getting better recruiting classes on paper, in terms of ranking highly nationally, 
the wins need to come first to get those guys. But it's kind of subjective, right? He says, get better recruiting classes. Well, I just threw out some examples of guys that they signed in 2021 that didn't have a lot of other Power 5 options, but look like they're going to have pretty darn good careers with CU. So as long as you keep that going, that helps you get to that first part, getting wins in order to get more blue chip guys on, on, on board. They have done studies that show that five-star recruits have a better chance to start at the Power 5 level. They have a better chance to be all-conference. They have a better chance to be drafted. Four-star recruits, it's been proven over time, have a better chance for those things, to start, to be all-conference, to get drafted, than three-star recruits, and it goes on down. But for whatever reason with CU recruiting, that just has not played out in, in recent years. You can go on to buffstampede.com and you go to the commitment list. If you go all the way down to the bottom, it lists the all-time commits. You start looking at that list and there's a few guys that have lived up to potential, but most of those guys have not. And the guys that have exceeded expectations have been those three-star guys, the David Bakhtiari's, the Rodney Stewart's of the world. So for whatever reason, they've been semi-cursed with blue chip recruits. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you don't want to land guys like Justice Finkley, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, the blue chip guys have just not really panned out. So I'm sorry, I don't put as much stock into the star ratings as I did 10 years ago. I'm just, I've seen too many guys bust that were said to be the next great thing and they weren't. And I've seen fans freak out about getting commitments from guys that turn out to be really good college football players. And so I just am not going to put a ton of stock in that stuff right now and other people can. And yes, I am going to write what a player's other power five options are. I'm going to include his rating a lot of the time, just because I know that's what a lot of our readers care about. But for me personally, I don't put a whole lot of, lot of stock into it. Like I used to. Adelec 13 asked if the team found 5 million to play solely into recruiting, where would you invest it? I think you'd bring in at least another staff member for sure on the recruiting side. Um, and five million would uh, be able to attract a pretty uh, quality candidate in that regard. I don't know. The more I hear these football players and recruits talk, so many of them are obsessed with video games. Maybe I know they've got a players' lounge in the Champion Center, but you could do even more in that regard in terms of the video game stuff. But even five million isn't going to just fix the perception of CU football for most blue chip recruits. That wouldn't be a, a magic cure for them. If I was thinking outside the box too, maybe if you identified your top five targets at each position for 2023 recruiting, because you're getting pretty heavy into that September 1st, you can start talking to those kids. I don't even know if this would be legal, but give some incentive to assistant coaches to say, if you land one of those top five recruits, you get a bonus not trying to insinuate that these position coaches are lacking initiative when it comes to recruiting, but that would be an extra level that maybe you could get to from recruiting. But recent success matters so much with recruiting. And when you haven't had that $5 million, isn't going to be a magic cure there. China buff asks true or false at the end of the season, CU's offense will gain more yards than their opponents. That's a good one. 
might be pretty close, especially if they go six and six, like I'm predicting. Uh, I'll say false. I'll say slightly the opponents gain more total yards. And then true or false, special teams will be a strength of the CU team. I'll go false there as well, but I don't think special teams is going to be a weakness either. I think Josh Watts is probably middle of the Pac-12 type punter. Uh, Cole Becker, uh, we'll see there. It just It's an unknown at this point. He's a true freshman coming in. And then Demetrius Stanley is a solid returner, but you know he's not like one of those guys you're pegging as an all-conference return type guy at this point. Um, so I'll, I'll say they're kind of middle of the pack there. Buff Ticket asked, do you think we need to blow out UNC to get B. Lou off the field as soon as possible that game? I'd say they need to blow out UNC just for the sanity of uh, the buffstampede.com message board. <laughs> Brandon Lewis has to play deeper into the game than you'd like. doesn't necessarily guarantee that he's going to get hurt or anything like that. So, um, But the sooner you can get Brandon Lewis off the field, the better for all of our sanity. And, uh, and the less they have to show against UNC would obviously be good for them uh, having to prepare for two power five opponents the, the following two weeks. So, do they need to? I don't I don't think need is the right word there, but it, it sure would be nice. 62V36 also asked here, how is Mark Perry developing at safety? After rewatching last year's games, he was non-existent. Is there anyone pushing him for the starting role? It feels like Mark Perry has a pretty solid hold on that starting role, uh, but he, you're right. And he didn't make a lot of plays last year. And Mark Perry was very honest when self-assessing himself and said that was one of his worst years playing football. And so uh, he's definitely motivated. The jury's still out there. We, we got to see him doing that, that in game to really say that he's really fully developed at safety, but still a young guy. He played close to the line of scrimmage, pinned his ears back, got in the backfield a few times as a true freshman. And everybody maybe had too high of expectations for him last year. Trevmon28 asked, last year we noticed significant drops in the D performance against the run when Landman was out the last six quarters, and to some extent when Jones was out in the Arizona game. How do you see it playing out this year if we lose key starters at linebacker and defensive line? There's a reason they brought in Jack Lamb and Robert Barnes to help bolster that inside linebackers group and what the defense showed in the last six quarters of 2020 uh, was a big reason for it, as you pointed out there. If you lose Landman, Robert Barnes, Jack Lamb, and Van Deest, like they were out and not participating in the scrimmage, although Lamb was out there, but those other three guys weren't, then maybe you'll have issues again. I'm still not sold on the depth on the defensive line, but with those those transfers at inside linebacker, and Van Deest got a ton of work this spring. Quinn Perry is a name that some folks might have forgotten, but it seems like he's had a pretty good offseason. Marvin Ham has been developing. So you've got guys that have been in the system longer, along with those guys that you brought in this transfer. So you like the depth a lot better at linebacker. Padalek13 asked, I know it is early, but what is your opinion on the staff's ability to identify hidden gems? Uh, pretty good so far when you look at some of the guys they've been on really early that end up getting big-time Power 5 options, and I know that frustrates fans when they weren't able to close on some of those guys. But it does at least show you that they've done a good job from the evaluation early in the process. Recruiting is such a copycat thing that 
it's it's frustrating for Carl Drell and his staff that they find some guys early on that other people haven't offered, and then they blow up, and then those guys go elsewhere to programs that have had better winning tradition here in recent years. And it, it's frustrating, but again, it goes back to the fact that uh, you have to have that recent success and win games to be an attractive options for guys that have a ton of power five options. Padre Murph asked, is the coaching staff treating the Finkley recruitment any different than a normal recruit? I know he's keeping things close to the vest, but what's your gut tell you better slash worse than 50%. They're definitely pulling all the stops trying to get justice Finkley. You know, they've done some cool stuff like the comic book graphic they did was really cool. A couple months back, you know, his mother's birthday, she gets handwritten letters from every coach on the staff. Uh, they've obviously brought him out to campus twice and, and try to roll the red carpet as best you can for a recruit. Well, still trying to do things above board and, and, and not cheat there. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you would say in that sense, they, they've added a little bit more to the, to the recruitment there than maybe they would with an average target. In terms of better or worse than 50%, I am not going to go there because he has played it close to the vest, and I would only be guessing there. And I'm not trying to get folks' expectations too high if he goes somewhere else. I know if he goes somewhere else, it's already going to be uh, the sky is falling within the fan base. So I'm not setting expectations with this one. I do think CU has a legit chance. I mean, they are in his final three. Um, and I think he's even keeping his parents guessing at this point. So I don't want to make any proclamation in terms of a percent chance. Wild Buff asked, how can CU build its brand to be at the level it needs to be in the new era of college football? I argue that brand value is more relevant than on-the-field performance, unless your team really sucks in the area of NIL, realignment, and new landscape of recruiting. They kind of go hand-in-hand, though. Brand value and winning. There are some programs like Texas and USC and Michigan where their brand value is still really strong and yet they haven't lived up to expectations in recent years. But that brand value has been built for those type of programs with a lot of success over a long period of time. CU has had glory days, but those glory days are quite a bit in the rearview mirror right now. And so it's going to take CU to have the success winning, to have that brand value. It's They're not mutually exclusive CU, even if they do win, it's going to take time for that brand to be what it was in the early 90s. It just is the reality. I do think, though, that with the transfer portal and the one-time transfer exemption, NIL won't be as condemning for a program like CU that doesn't have the NIL stuff that we've seen at some of the programs like Alabama and Texas A&M because when these recruits feel like there's a promise of big paydays with NIL, they get on campus and it doesn't pan out that way. They're going to be looking to go somewhere else. And that's why I've pointed out before, you never want to be second for a recruit, but if you're second for a recruit in this era of college football with the transfer portal and one-time transfer exemption, it can pay dividends down the road. I do think there's a lot of these recruits that are going to sign with the school thinking that they're going to get some six figure payment in terms of NIL when they get there and it's not going to pan out. And 
they might look for for a different program and nil will in those circumstances will be less important than maybe it looks like it it's going to be right now but brand value and winning for cu right now is going to go kind of hand in hand and so they need to string some winning seasons together az history buff 13 asked where do you see conference realignment headed what is the best and worst case scenario for cu it's tough to say at this point. Obviously, there's been talks about some type of alliance between the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12. But if that's simply a scheduling alliance, I mean, you're you're not getting anywhere close to competing to what the SEC has going on right now. If they do something crazy like try to build another super conference to, to compete with the SEC, then they're going to take the best from those conferences and, and group them together, which, I mean, we're getting way too far ahead of ourselves. We haven't heard that being a real, realistic possibility. See um, you because of the Denver market maybe have a, has a chance to be part of that conference, but uh, they could also be on the outside looking in. So that would be worst case scenario if there's another, you know, top level conference that forms and see not invited. Uh, best case scenario, I guess, would be to be part of that conversation if that ends up happening. But we're just too early in terms of the aftermath of Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC to know what college football is going to look like in five or 10 years. With the lack of leadership in college football right now, it's definitely concerning. NIL, it's the wild, wild west right now. There, there's got to be some guidelines put in place here at some point in the future. I also had a couple questions about possible quarterback transfers. Jarrell has said they're going to roll with the guys they have, so wasting time on that seems like just that, a waste of time. There was a question about Greg Brown. Yeah, he's been around, hanging around CU's practices, but I don't think he's part of the support staff. I'll, I'll look into that. And then we had a question about uh, shoes being worn for weightlifting under Turley. Uh, that's another question that I'm going to have to look into more on those topics. Questions about Justice Finkley and conference realignment. I mean, I wish I could look into the future and give you guys definitive answers there, but uh, we're going to have to wait and see on all that. So like I said, we're about halfway through camp and uh, I'll be back before they kick off the season, answer some more fan questions. We'll try to get, uh, William Gardner on here. Sean Niehoff is going to be doing a lot of writing for us this fall. We'll try to get him on a podcast, maybe do a basketball-only podcast with Jake Shapiro, and uh, maybe get a collaboration going with Brian Howell again as well. So anyways, I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for tuning in.